0: Welcome to the Deep Roots at Home podcast. For those of you new here, the Deep Roots at Home website was founded by Jackie in 2011. As a retired RN, longtime homeschooler, past Lyme sufferer with a love of preventative natural medicinals, Jackie has encouraged women for years now. Our desire is to spread truth and important information during these recent deceptive times, as well as the practicals of homemaking and all things beautiful. Whether you are listening in the car, while you're making dinner for your children, or sitting with a relaxing cup of tea, welcome to the podcast. We are going to be talking with Mark Sloan, independent health researcher, author of five books, including The Cancer Industry, and endalldisease.com is his website. In this episode, we're going to hear Mark's story of how he lost his mom to cancer as a young boy, which then led him on a journey to become an expert in all things cancer. You will be surprised as we talk about what cancer really is and what it is not. Listen and be encouraged. So welcome to another episode of the Deep Roots at Home podcast. I'm your host, Abby Grace, and I am very excited to be with you here today. I am thrilled to have a special guest on our podcast today, Mr. Mark Sloan, and he is an independent health researcher. He's the author of five books, including one called The Cancer Industry, and he has the website endalldisease.com. And so he has a wealth of wisdom to share with us. And today in particular, we're addressing the topic of cancer. And so, um, I know that you are gonna be very blessed by all that Mark has to share with us today. And so welcome to the podcast, Mark.
1: Hey, thank you for having me, Abby. It's good to be here.
0: So I'm going to let you just run with this and start sharing with us all that you've learned um, and want our listeners to know. But maybe we should start first with um, your mama actually had cancer. Is that correct?
1: Uh, Yeah, she was diagnosed when I was 11 years old with cancer. Mm. Uh, It was on her cervix. You want me to expand on that and kind of tell the audience what happened? Sure.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, so she was diagnosed with cervical cancer. And it was just, it was said from by the doctors to be, you know, just a very small kind of polyp almost. And, uh, you know, they're like, just for assurance, you know, we want to go in there and cut this thing off. It's nothing to be afraid of. And so they went in there and they performed their surgeries, um, cut it off. It was about the size of a baby fingernail. So nothing crazy at all, nothing to be too worried about. But then at the end of that, they were like, yeah, we want to use some ionizing radiation on this as well, a little radiotherapy, just to make sure it doesn't come back. And then uh, if you fast forward to when I was like writing my book, I found some studies that showed, you know, ionizing radiation causes cancer to metastasize and, and to return. Uh, so it's all out there. But at the time, none of us, of course, had any idea, especially the doctor. I think you probably believed that, that ionizing radiation would do good, just like you said, but... Six months later, at a checkup. Uh, The doctor found that the cancer had metastasized to her hip, and they found more in there and other places as well. So now they were like, all right, we want to inject a chemotherapy into her now, which if you really think about it, is not much different than what they do to like a prisoner on like death row. Uh, The only difference is they die in minutes, and the cancer patient takes, you know, a few months, which is exactly what I saw. Before she received that, there was really nothing – externally no symptoms my mother was experiencing that would uh, kind of suggest no red flags that would suggest she was sick at all Uh, in fact she had no symptoms and then all of a sudden she gets chemotherapy Uh, one of the first things that happened almost immediately other than like the tremendous incessant pain that never went away um, was her legs swelled up uh, to like twice two or three times their size so walking immediately was an immediate side effect of the chemotherapy or inability to walk rather so from that point on i saw my mother in a wheelchair which was messed up because my father you know he sought out oncologists specifically like the he wanted to find the best in canada so my father you know assured my sister and i that you know we've got the best people working on it we're rushing her for treatment just like the doctors say is the best thing to do and so you know i i really did expect of recovery but then all of a sudden she gets this so-called advanced treatment and now she can't walk and now she's crying at night and as i'm trying to sleep and i can hear her downstairs Aww. just crying like she's being tortured oh. uh it was really messed up uh it was like really traumatic for me and my whole family um so two three months later that was it she was gone oh. and uh I went from a boy having a loving mother to like nothing at all. And now my dad suddenly has to work double time to try to be a mom and a dad. So, and he took care of us. He did the best he could for sure. He took care of the money aspect of our lives, but I really was kind of neglected of emotional support. So as I look for a wife now, I'm actually, that's definitely one of my things. Like I need a lot of affection is what I I tell them now and make sure that they can provide that, you know? So, Uh, Not to get too off track with that. That's kind of how it all went down. And then after the trauma of all that kind of wore off, like 15 years later, when I was around 28 years old, um, I kind of like started asking questions. I'm like, the question I think that was on everyone's mind that people were just kind of too afraid to ask was like, was it the the cancer that killed my mother, like the doctor said, or was it the chemotherapy? Because just like I said, there was no indication that she was really sick before she got that. And all of a sudden she started dying. And that was just really, really clear. And so that was kind of the question that made me realize, and I started to gain confidence enough to write a book or to commit to writing a book. I knew I would either write that book or I would die trying. And three years of obsessive research later, I wrote that book. And it turned out to be actually two books, the first of which is called The Cancer Industry. So that was my effort in answering the question, You know, was it the treatments? or was it cancer, Uh, we've been using surgery, chemotherapy and radiotherapy for a long, long time. What are the results? These things have been studied. What happens when people get them? Are are their lives prolonged or are they shortened? And if they are prolonged, we should keep using them. But I was like, if they're not, if what I suspect from what I saw with my own eyes and my whole family saw with their own eyes, and most people who have seen somebody go through this, have seen with their own eyes, even though they're told the opposite, if it's true, then, I'm going to find out. I want to find out once and for all, we need to figure this out because I want to solve this disease. I want to make sure I want to make sure no children, no child has to go through what I did because it was horrible. And I would, I'll take death in order to prevent that from happening because I don't want anyone to feel that way. So I'll do the work. Lots of people while I was writing it were like, Oh, careful, you know, this industry makes a lot of money as like saying like, Oh, they're going to come after you. Well, that's fine. It's worth it. This is worth living for. And it's worth dying for my mother gave me a purpose. And so here I am today to talk about it. Absolutely. And basically when it comes to the cancer industry, it's been known for over 50 years that these treatments kill people faster than they would have died without anything at all, any treatment at all. So if someone's diagnosed with cancer and they do nothing, they will live up to four times longer and feel better than if they get submit to these treatments. And that's wow. according to the work of Dr. Hardin B. Jones. So there it is. And don't, don't take my word for it though. Please read the book. I give them out to people all the time because it's not about the money. I just want people to look at this and then they can think for themselves only when they see that data though. And for the first time ever, it's been brought together into one volume and made simple.
0: Wow. Wow. So what I just, I feel for that, that young boy. I mean, what you went through, like you said, no one should have to go through something like that, especially when your mom was, seemingly healthy beforehand. I think though there's so much fear that is put into the, you hear that C word and the doctors, you trust the doctors and there's so much fear that comes along with that, that you just, I think, um, even if you, I know for myself, even if you feel like you have a natural background or you you have, um, it, it's like that goes out the window with the fear that comes along with that diagnosis. So oh, you have, yeah, absolutely. you've stated that cancer is not what you think it is. So what do you believe cancer is?
1: Well, that was the subject of my second book. So once I figured out that these treatments are no good, I'm like, okay, we need some uh, rational replacements. Uh, let's use up, let's stop killing ourselves. Let's stop acting like lemmings and walking off a cliff in order to do that. So what do we need? We need to figure out what cancer actually is. What is this thing called cancer? And then we can figure out from there, what's the most efficient way to reverse the issue. that is the subject of my book, Cancer, the Metabolic Disease Unraveled, that I published after that. And it includes over 4,500 scientific and clinical references, by the way. So it's entirely, everything that's said in there comes directly from the scientific research itself and has been observed and tested and often repeated many, many times. Uh, So that's the method that we need to follow if we are to find the truth, which is why I did it that way. Um, But as far as what cancer is, I like to start with what it's not. And what we're kind of told that it is, but it's implicitly, it's not like directly, is that when someone's diagnosed with cancer, you have to, there's something inside them that must be killed or that thing is going to kill the person. Right. This is what's implied by the use of, you know, knives poison injections and the use of ionizing radiation, the same stuff that comes off like a nuclear bomb used in war to kill people. Um, That's how they use it because if there's some kind of creature inside, then you have to kill that thing and then it makes sense. But when you look at the research and the history of people, great scientists out there who have been hot on the trail for over 150 years looking at this, trying to figure out what cancer is, and it's been solved, by the way, over 100 years ago, but it's just been ignored because it's in. It's not profitable, I would say. That's the main reason why, um, but it's all out there. And I, I like to begin with the work of Dr. Rudolf Virchow. He was a German physician, and he worked with cancer patients his entire career, and this was uh, in the 18, mid-1800s. And around the early 1860s, he published a theory, a hypothesis, on what cancer is because of what he saw. It was based on what he saw his entire career repeatedly in different patients, and he found that almost universally, patients who uh, ended up growing a tumor inside their body had one similar thing in common, and that was that they had a chronic unhealing wound in their body. So if somebody injures themselves, um, breaks their leg, for example, and then it never quite heals, they always kind of have some symptoms that linger on because the, the healing was incomplete, that is the prime area where a tumor, it's a prime candidate location for a tumor to grow. Uh And so that was what he published as his hypothesis. And that kind of has been carried on since then, that thread of research. Um, Dr. Otto Warburg, many of your listeners may be familiar with, uh, he was a German physician. He won the Nobel Prize twice. And he did some amazing, amazing work, even in the room, like among other Nobel laureates, this guy stood out as one of the giants. It was highly respected except for his work on the metabolism of tumors. He, his peers almost dismissed it as like a kind of a crazy idea from this genius of a scientist. Uh, but then here we are like just within the past 10 years there's all sorts of scientists uh, publishing studies saying, you know, Warburg was right after all. And that was in like the thirties. So how long does it take, you know, for truth to make its way around the world. It's like a lie can make its way around the world before truth can even get its boots on here. It takes a long time for discoveries to make their way into the mainstream, but and actually they may never, but they are there in the published science. Scientists from all different countries, many countries are saying Otto Warburg was right, and what did he find, what did he discover? He was looking at tumors and the individual cells within the tumor to find out what was going on in those cells, And just like Virchow found that the tumor itself was the result of a chronic wound, um, the individual cells within the tumor were injured cells themselves. So this is a big step forward that kind of dovetails nicely from that previous research. So the tumor itself is an injury. The cells inside a tumor are injured cells. And oncologists today are taught to treat injuries with treatments that cause further injuries. That's the sum of the medical intelligence and that's what, who you're trusting if you're going to go and trust your doctor. They have no idea what cancer is and it's not what they say it is. There's no alien cells that are trying to kill you. There is simply a healing process at work that for very specific reasons, which I go over in the book, uh, your body is unable to completely heal. So if you want a rational approach to cancer, don't slaughter yourself or inject poison, but boost your body's ability to heal itself. And there are many ways you can do that
0: i've never heard that before even that even in the natural world it still looks at cancer as this foreign foreign growth foreign object that um maybe has taken over because of a lowered immune system but not that there's actually been an injury that ha- is actually healing itself that that's fascinating wow
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I would say there's no scientific evidence ever to suggest that there is some kind of werewolf inside the person. This is just, it's a modern mythology. I call it the angry cancer cell. Wow.
0: Wow. Well, let's take a short break and we'll be right back and we've got lots more to talk about. to vaccines, most mothers and fathers want to know facts, not others' opinions. Jackie wished she had known more facts when she went in for her first well-baby visit. Because Jackie strongly promotes parental choice, she felt led to write a short treatise with personal facts. This vaccination ebook is pretty concise to allow you, the parent, to read, research into the studies she shares, and come up with your own decisions. Jackie's sincere desire is that you and your children thrive, and so she presents to you the vaccination ebook free of charge. Simply go to deeprootsathome.com forward slash vital info ebook forward slash. That's deeprootsathome.com forward slash vital info ebook forward slash. All right, and we're back. And Mark, you touched on this a little bit um, when you mentioned the money-making side of the cancer industry, but why are we not seeing a cancer cure? I mean, God has given us so many good things to heal. Um, we, we're, we're more scientifically advanced so-called than we ever have been before. Even, even in the natural world, we're, we're um, making leaps and bounds with things that we're seeing. But here, you know, there's just everybody's still afraid of cancer. So why do you believe there's not a cancer cure?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. And that's one that I sought to answer in writing my The Cancer Industry book as well. And the reality is since the war on cancer was declared in the early 1970s, it's been uh, over 50 years now and they're still using the same treatments and more people are dying and diagnosed with cancer than ever before. And this is after $500 billion have been spent on research. So either the people researching wherever those funds are going are incompetent or it's just, it's conspiracy and they want to make money and they will just prevent us from having a cure because the money's coming in. Like any business, you know, you don't want that money to stop coming in. Once it gets rolling, this is kind of the, the problem here. It's like, if it, if it all began with the best intentions, um, once that money comes in, it can be hard to stop that train from rolling. You know, it just gets this momentum and kind of creates like this, egregore like life of itself that it never wants to stop even at the expense of many lives that seems to be the issue it's money and when i wrote the book two years ago um at that time the industry was making 126 billion dollars a year that's a lot of money would you put yourself out of business if giving people a cure meant uh, exactly that yeah. most people wouldn't i probably would but uh yeah, obviously, the people that make the money, the profiteers of the industry uh, are continuing this, this madness where people are just killing themselves every single day just for profit. And yeah. Dr. Glenn Warner said that we have a situation where people are being murdered left and right just for the sake of monetary gain.
0: And they are going after truth tellers for sure. Have you had had uh, threats against you?
1: Uh, I'm still alive. Here we are. Uh, I'm like, I'm 37 now. So they say that's Pat middle age. So, you know, I wake up, I'm thankful that yeah. God gave me a life, but I'm also thankful that he made this life pretty short. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's like this balance.
0: So um, Dr. Ryan Klo has shown that cancer rates are skyrocketing now after the jab. And we all know that, um, you know the jab is being pushed on everybody, even little children. Why? Why do you think this the um, the cancer rates are skyrocketing because of this?
1: Uh, it's simple because more people are going to their doctor's offices and getting the tests for cancer.
0: Ah,
1: that's the one and only way to make cancer rates skyrocket because nobody can be diagnosed without getting the test. So they go for the jab. The doctor says, "Oh, we should get you a cancer test as well." And then naturally, you're going to have more people diagnosed, especially when the cancer treatment or the cancer diagnostic tests, uh, like the main one for men, the PSA test for prostate cancer and mammography for women, uh, tend to massively overdiagnose people, people that aren't sick at all that don't have cancer. uh, There's like a false positive rate on this. That's very, very high to the tune of since mammography began in the 70s, uh, I found a study that showed over a million women that didn't have cancer were told they did. And then they were treated with these treatments that cause harm. And the same thing goes for the PSA test, which was released in the early 90s. There have been over a million men diagnosed with prostate cancer that don't have it, simply because the test is inaccurate and overdiagnoses people. So it's like even more horrifying when you realize that.
0: So, okay, so piggyback on that, do you think the jab itself also can cause cancer?
1: Sorry, one more time.
0: So, uh, do you think the jab itself can 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 cause oh. cancer? I mean, that we really don't sure. have a lot of data yet because it's new.
1: Exactly. Like, what is that thing? You know, um, I know with other like vaccines, I've looked at. Uh, like the flu one, for example, they tend to have a lot of toxic excipients, like mercury, aluminum, formaldehyde, antifreeze—all these insane things that you would never want to put in your body. But I, when I looked at this one, at least on label, it had none of those excipients. Uh, that being said, when there was like when it was studied on animals, I think it was ferrets. Every single ferret that got to that ja- died. Yeah. So that's not a good sign. You know, that's why I didn't get it. I'm not. I'm not putting that in my body. Like, I'll be the control group on this one. Yeah. <laughs> so, can it cause cancer? Maybe. And probably I have to lean in that direction, although I have no data to support that.
0: So, knowing what you know then, are what are some things that we can do, like, proactively or supp- supplement-wise to mitigate the damage to the innate immune system and keep our bodies from you know, these, these wounds that you're saying are, you know, springboards to the cancer?
1: Well, the the primary thing, I mean, there are a lot of toxic insults in our environment, including like the 24 seven blanket of, you know, radio frequency radiation that we're exposed to. Um, There are many different things that can be causative or contribute, I guess, to the cancer the wound that the body cannot heal but the question is why can't the body heal and it seems to be the toxic breakdown products of consuming the wrong fats in our diet are the primary thing inhibiting the healing and if you take those out of the equation and they're only the only way we can be exposed to these the only way they get in our bodies is if we eat them so we have our hands on the steering wheel here so if we stop eating these things and remove them from the equation it has been shown in the research that the body will be able to heal that wound so it's almost like, yeah, should we, it's almost like if you want to be proactive, you just got to not harm yourself with eating the wrong fats rather than look for a good therapy that works that's safe. So the um, fats,
0: so you're saying like, what, give, me, give me some of the wrong fats and some of the right fats.
1: Yeah, so and our diets are basically three main fats, the saturated fats, the monounsaturated and the polyunsaturated, I'm writing a book on this now, and it's going to be incredible. Um, sign up to my mailing list, anyone who isn't already, endalldisease.com. And, all and uh, I'll let you know as soon as it comes out and maybe give you a chance to read it for free in exchange for a review. But um, So saturated, monounsaturated fat, and polyunsaturated. And every single fat we eat has like a, a combination of all three of those. Um, but if you look at, like, really, like, molecularly, what is, like, a saturated fat, what is a monounsaturated fat, what is a polyunsaturated fat, the saturated fat is one that's, like, extremely stable and resistant to oxidation. And then as it becomes more saturated with the mono and even more saturated with the polys, um, it becomes very, very vulnerable and... Um, easily oxidized, basically. And what I mean by oxidized, is reacts with oxygen. And so if you take a polyunsaturated fat, these are the ones that we're told are essential. And these are the ones that I say, the only thing they're essential for is cancer formation. (laughs) When they oxidize, they break down into very toxic metabolites. And so when you have an injury, if you have those metabolites in the area, those metabolites damage and poison both the immune system and the body's ability to heal that damage. And then they they trigger the release of more polyunsaturated fats in the area, which then oxidize, consuming oxygen, by the way, which is very important in the healing process. And then they also produce more toxins. So there's like this vicious circle of stress and toxin production that results when we have these polyunsaturated fats in our diet. So some say they're essential, and they may be, but they may not be essential at all. And it could very well be that zero is the best. However, it's tricky to not eat them because they're so ubiquitous in our modern food supply.
0: Hmm. So, and this is is why, does this have to do also with why overweight people have more high cancer risk? Or is that not related at all?
1: Yeah, I'm not convinced they do. I would say the same thing that causes one to be overweight would cause cancer. So it's like it's correlated and they assume that you know somebody who is overweight has an increased risk of cancer because of the overweightness themselves itself. But I would say it's not because of the overweightness, it's because they're doing the same things that would um, make somebody more likely gotcha. to get cancer.
0: They're having same a cause. high diet in the in those unsaturated fats or the saturated. Yeah, fats. exactly. Right interesting the
1: saturated are the safe ones which is completely the opposite of what we've been told and they still push this to this day but if you look in human history since the beginning of time no matter where you lived in the world the fats you would have eaten were beef tallow pork lard and butter and if you lived in a tropical region you would have eaten coconut oil and palm oil and that was it all the way up until 1950 and Actually, the early 1900s, let's say, that's when they introduced Crisco vegetable oil, which is literally like cotton seed oil. It's like a, a waste product of the textile industry. And they started feeding it to us. And you can go to, uh, to a hardware store to this day and buy paint varnish so you could paint and protect a piece of wood that's made from these same seed oils. So the issue are, uh, is of people eating nut and seed oils. And they call it vegetable oil, but there's no vegetables in this stuff at all. They just do that so we think it's healthy. But basically, you know, people are eating paint varnish, which <laughs> are high in these polyunsaturated fats. And the joke's kind of on us. Right. So Where does avocado oil
0: fit in that, good or bad?
1: Well, like all the other fats, avocado oil contains some saturated, some monounsaturated, and some polyunsaturated. Um, but And it is one of the better ones. Right. It's similar to in and its contents of polyunsaturated fats to like olive oil, similar to palm oil. I think olive oil is 10 percent polyunsaturated fats. Palm oil, the same. Um, avocado oil is around 14 oh, percent. And so the, the thing is, what happens when you eat that? And I would say it's still pretty high for me. Um, I love avocados and I will eat them now and then. I would never tell anyone what to do, what to eat. I'm not in that business. Too many people out there saying that stuff. So for me, I will eat an avocado now and then on like a taco or something. Uh, You got to live. But I would also say that that 14%, if you eat a lot of it, it's not good. These are really toxic fats, no matter what their form. Um, And what happens when you eat them is they get preferentially stored in your body tissues because your body recognizes them as toxic. So it does the best thing it can do. It stores it away in your tissues. And this is where the problem lies. In direct proportion to the tissue concentration of polyunsaturated fats, which tends to accumulate with age, because as we steadily eat them, it accumulates. Um, These fats get released during stress, which can – stress can be triggered from many different things. It's not just psychological. Simply not eating for like six, seven hours and running low on blood glucose, that will trigger stress. So it's very easy in in today's world to trigger stress, which triggers the release of these polyunsaturated fats into your blood and that's when they do the damage. And as we age, as life goes on, our energy levels decline and our tissues degenerate, and I would say in exact proportion to the concentration of these polyunsaturated fats in our tissues. It's unbelievably conclusive. There is so much evidence for this. And it's so incredible because it simplifies everything, is that basically aging and disease are are the same phenomenon caused mainly by the inhibition of our metabolism caused by consumption of polyunsaturated fat.
0: Interesting, so you mentioned stress on the body. This makes me think of a couple of fad things that I'm wondering just, this is kind of off topic, but kind of not, just shooting from the hip here. Um, In regards to cancer prevention, do you feel like um, the keto diet that's high in a lot of these fats, low in carbs, do you feel like that could be concerning? um, in regards to your research?
1: Yeah, it definitely can. Uh, and there are different ways to do it based on what I just mentioned about fats. Obviously, if you're not eating a lot of carbohydrates, which I think can be a problematic in and of itself, um, you're going to be eating a lot of fats instead in order to make up the calories and that'll be like your energy source. Uh, so what kind of fats is that person eating? That's on the ketogenic diet. If they are, if they're eating like soybean oil, oh, like that's accelerated aging and death for sure. So if I was to do the ketogenic diet and I wanted to make it as safe as possible, um, the best way to do that would be to eat, and this would be very difficult, um, only the highest saturated fats possible. So I would go for hydrogenated coconut oil. Coconut oil itself is the most saturated fat in all of nature. It's the safest fat, uh, but it still has 2% polyunsaturated fats and hydrogenated coconut oil that's what they use for like soap making because it's so stable and so dense um, they actually saturate those two percent polyunsaturated so hydrogenated coconut oil you can buy it from like a soap supply company it's not soap but it's uh, very very <laughs> stable coconut oil that's what i use personally and that would mean that you're not consuming any polyunsaturated fats so that would be the safest way if you're going to do the ketogenic diet you could probably get away with that if that's what you use, or even regular coconut oil, but just keep in mind, you're still, the proof that you do consume, that's getting stored directly in your tissue. So over time, it's gonna make the situation much, much worse.
0: Okay, and then the other thing that I thought about was when you said that it adds stress to go eight hours or more, what about the intermittent, you know what I'm saying? (laughs)
1: Intermittent fasting, fasting, right?
0: Intermittent fasting, yeah. Does that add stress to your body, or can that be actually healthful?
1: I don't think there's any doubt about it. It does add stress because at some point, your body's going to run out of glucose. And hypoglycemia is an emergency where you could die. So the question is, what happens when your body runs out of glucose? Uh, like first, some, some glucose is stored um, in your muscles and in your liver. So that's kind of your backup. But if your thyroid's not working, there's not going to be much stored in the form of glycogen in your muscles and liver. Um, so sometimes in as little as like 30 seconds or less, people can be under stress. And so that, that's all gone. And so what happens? The body uh, initiates stress, the release of adrenaline, cortisol, and these trigger the breakdown of your fatty, your fatty tissues as well as your muscles. So you're sacrificing your body here in order to produce glucose when you could just be eating glucose, um, and that would switch off the stress. But that's what happens when you don't eat And I think the best way to look at fasting is to understand what happens like at night when we sleep, because that's like ideally an eight to 10 hour period where we're not eating. And it's important to note that first thing in the morning, that is statistically the time of the most heart attacks. And that's because after not eating for that long, that's the point of the day with the peak amount of stress. And that's what causes the heart attacks. So... That just that says a lot about fasting and what happens. It causes stress in the body. And there are some things that are good for it. Like nothing is completely black and white. Just like every food, everything else in life, every activity, there are good and bad. And as far as fasting goes, there are some good things. But by and large, overall, it, is, it moves your body in the direction of degeneration and disease and aging itself.
0: Okay. Well, when we come back, I have some questions to talk to you about breast cancer and mammograms. So we'll be right back. It's no secret that Jackie absolutely loves TRS. Here is another fantastic testimony. Our three-year-old has been so much more affectionate and loving. She's autistic and has sensory issues, so her tendency has always been to go off by herself to play, and she would actively avoid social and physical contact. Being incredibly sensitive can be so isolating. I'm delighted to report that after six months of TRS, she's so much more sociable and affectionate. It's astounding. She initiates cuddles, welcomes kisses, hugs her big sister, likes hanging out with her little brother, asks grandma to pick her up, and makes sure she's in the company of family regardless of what she's doing. She wakes up every morning with a huge grin, ready to have fun and play. We are so grateful to see our little girl blossoming and joining the world, wanting connection and affection, making eye contact and sharing laughter. Thank you, TRS. For more information, please go to www.deeprootsathomes.com forward slash TRS. That's deeprootsathome.com forward slash TRS. Okay, and we're back. And you mentioned this a little bit, but what is your view on mammograms being used to detect breast cancer? I mean, I'm personally 50 years old. I've never had a mammogram, and that is kind of shocking to my family members, but I've been scared of them.
1: (laughs) Well, I think there's a good reason to be afraid of them when you understand what they are and what's been studied about them and published. So first of all, I would say everything you need to know. There's more information contained in my one chapter on cancer diagnostics than if you went out. And did your absolute best for like a year straight to try to find data. So it's all packed in there. That's a must-read for a man, a woman, a child, anyone living, anyone who breathes air.
0: Is this in your that first book. book? I
1: urge you to. Is this yeah, your Yeah, the cancer book? industry. Okay. It's on Amazon right now. Um, yeah. So the first thing to know about that is that mammography or, or a mammogram is basically an image using ionizing radiation of the breast, so they can kind of see what's going on inside there. But the problem, is, the problem begins with um, the ionizing radiation itself. According to Dr. Samuel Milham, uh, just one mammogram administers 1,000 times the dose of ionizing radiation of a single chest X-ray.
0: A thousand? An
1: enormous. 1,000 times. Whoa. And so in the book, I was like, okay, so 1,000 times that of a chest X-ray. What about a single chest X-ray? How harmful is that? So I actually went right into that as well and got to the core of the issue. And based based on all the evidence, you can conclude what you will. But for me, what I've concluded, based on my research into a single chest x-ray, whether or not it's worth the risk or not, uh, the ICRP, International Commission on Radiation Protection, has deemed it worthwhile, even though, I mean, we all know ionizing radiation does cause cancer, that's acknowledged, but they just say that it's worth using it, uh, the benefits outweigh the negatives. But i say that's completely wrong and their safety limits are wrong. Um, And that is based on a lot of different published studies. Um, And basically it's been shown that a single x-ray, whether it's a chest x-ray, just any kind of routine x-ray causes damage that is not only lasts for the rest of that person's life, there's like this chain reaction of damage. Nitric oxide is released by cells exposed to the radiation and that nitric oxide causes the damage neighboring cells and then that cell is damaged and it releases nitric oxide and that nitric oxide through what is called a bystander effect continues that damage throughout the entire body and that damage persists to the end of life uh carmel e Mothersill and her team of scientists from mcmaster university in hamilton ontario in canada she did this research where she irradiated uh, a rainbow trout and then overnight, put it in a bucket with other rainbow trout that weren't irradiated. And this was a 0.5 gray dose, which is your standard x ray. And in the morning, the next day, when they looked at the non irradiated fish, they found that the damage from the irradiated fish was transferred to a chemical messenger in the water, which has since been deemed nitric oxide, which, by the way, many people think is good for them, uh, but it's a toxic free radical. And so that's from a, a single x-ray so now multiply that by a thousand and now you have your mammogram so you tell me is that safe uh, the next step in a mammogram or i guess before that they clamp the breast down onto like an imaging plate and i've heard that could be painful uh there have been reports in the scientific literature i've talked to some women who've gotten it as well and they said yeah it was painful uh, so and that's what study too and when they just from the clamping down of the breast onto the imaging plate Um, So forcefully, that has been shown that it can cause, if cancer is present, that can cause it to metastasize. So not only ionizing radiation itself can cause cancer to metastasize, and it comes in very high doses, but just putting the breath on the imaging plate can cause it to metastasize as well. So just every single thing about this is like an abomination. If I was a woman, I would never get a mammogram. Exactly. And actually, a lot of men these days are getting them too. So even as a man, I will never get one either.
0: That's crazy, crazy. So are there safer methods then to be able to detect cancer without harm?
1: I think I came across one called thermography, Mm -hmm. which is a method to look at the breast. I think it uses near infrared radiation or just infrared. Uh, That would definitely be safer and potentially more effective. But the thing is, just like we went back to, what are we looking for? What is this cancer thing, right? if it's a creature in there then yeah it's important to detect it but the thing with these increased advancing of technologies where we're able to see into the body is you end up doctors end up seeing things which never would have caused a problem in the past that doctors in the past never would have seen but now because they can see in the body uh, they're like what is this you know and even though this is not a problem they have to say something there's something strange happening here so they tend to diagnose that as cancer when in reality it's nothing it would never cause any problems at all for the person so this is kind of the issue you really want a doctor looking inside you when they're paid to uh diagnose surgeries and pills and treatments which happen to kill people that's the question
0: so i have heard uh before that we all have cancer in us we all have cancer cells in us is do you believe that's the case with your research
1: well, in my research, I really like to break it down to like a cellular level. I think that's the most important. The truth is always beautiful and simple, as Buckminster Fuller once said, and when you look at a cell, because basically we're just a collection of cells. Some have estimated you know, 70 trillion cells, that's all we are, with specified tasks, like a bone cell or a skin cell, an organ cell, brain cell, they all have um, individual tasks, and they've differentiated, basically that's the word, into different cells that have different things that they need to do. But the reality is regardless of what the cell is, that cell has certain requirements and it functions in certain ways. And each cell, I think minus red blood cells, they don't have um, mitochondria, could be wrong about that, but I think that's the one type of cell that doesn't. Uh, But the rest need to produce energy, they need energy. And that's where the energy of your body, ATP, they call it adenosine triphosphate. That's what powers every thought. Every cell, every action, every flex of your muscle, um, that's the most important thing when it comes to health. Um, and do we have cancer cells in our bodies? Uh, I would say yes, because cancer cells is just a, a damaged tissue, and our, our cells and tissues are constantly, it seems, turning around and being replaced. So when a cell needs to be replaced, uh, the body has certain ways of doing that that will switch off the metabolism and it will give it the metabolism that is seen in a cancer cell, which is one that's producing lactic acid rather than CO2 and water and a high level of energy. That lactic acid is more like it's a fermentation process that produces very inefficient energy. So yeah, you could probably look in anybody's body and find what is called a cancer cell. However, all the things doctors that, that doctors look for to diagnose cancer are indistinguishable from damaged tissue. So keep that in mind.
0: Interesting. Wow. Well, I know that these are, this is going to be fascinating for our listeners and um, I'm sure that it's just uh, going to be a blessing to a lot of people. Um, as we wrap it up here, why don't you, you've mentioned your, we, you have your your books and you've mentioned a couple of them. Can you give me the names of all of them and then our listeners can go looking for those?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, if you go on Amazon, if you're interested, actually, if you're interested in reading the books, go to endalldisease.com books, they're all on that page. And okay. so the first one I wrote was the cancer industry. And that talks about my mother's story and the industry itself, and then cancer, the metabolic disease unraveled. is the second book. And then once I realized cancer is a metabolic disease, potentially all diseases are, uh, then I was like, Okay, so what are some therapies that affect the metabolism in a positive way that don't cause harm. And that was my next three books. So one on red light therapy called Red Light Therapy, Miracle Medicine. One on balneotherapy, which is bathing in carbonated mineral-rich water, like in a natural hot spring, which has been the primary method of treatment in all of history, all the way until after World War II, which may surprise a lot of people. And a lot of people didn't know about that, including myself, before writing the book. That one's called bath Bombs and Balneotherapy. And then the most recent book is called The Ultimate Guide to Methylene Blue, which is a fascinating subject. This book is flying off shelves. I've got two doctors in the US who are now selling it to their patients in their, their doctor's offices, two MDs. Um, it is a number one bestseller on Amazon, and it just it's being translated now into Italian, into French, into Spanish, into Japanese, and Czechoslovakian. So get your hands on that book. If, if I had to recommend three of those books, it'd be the two on cancer and the methylene blue if you had to choose.
0: Fantastic. And we're going to have you back again for a whole nother podcast on that methylene blue. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, Mark, this has been wonderful, very informative. I know that um, it's going to bless a lot of people. And I just I know your time is valuable. So I want to thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk with us today.
1: Oh, It's been an honor and uh, God bless everyone listening, you and your families. Thank you so much for tuning in.
0: And before we go, I will mention that Jackie has several blog posts on cancer, different remedies, and even the most amazing personalized testing for cancer on the market that I will post in the show notes at the bottom of uh, the episode description. Thanks for joining us on the Deep Roots at Home podcast. We pray it has encouraged you in your walk with the Lord and as you serve your family. Could you do us a favor? If this has blessed you, Could you help us spread the word by liking and sharing this podcast with your friends? And don't forget, we have lots of great links in the show notes that go along with today's podcast. See you next time.